Hello everybody, welcome to today's episode of Activist Lawyer. I apologise for my voice, it's a bit croaky, but I actually didn't think I'd have any voice at all today. <laughs> so not only are you blessed with listening to your lovely Nuri accent, but also quite a, a hoarse Nuri accent, so I do apologise. I hope you can bear with me for today's episode. I'm very delighted today to be joined by Christina Stamatescu, who is a solicitor based in Dublin. I've been following Christina for quite some time and I'm very well aware of her work. I would have worked um, alongside her and um, different firms that she worked in when I when I practiced back in Dublin. So it's lovely to have her again and I hope everybody enjoys today's episode. Hi, Christina. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me today. Not at all. Christina joins us from Dublin and just by way of introduction, Christina Stamatescu is a solicitor and notary public. She is a sole practitioner and has been a solicitor registered with the Law Society of Ireland since 2013. She is also admitted to the role of solicitors in England and Wales since 2018. As a sole practitioner, Christina is running a general practice with an interest and expertise in human rights and equality, judicial review and EU law. Her volunteer work includes her engagement with the Law Society, DSBA, IILA, which is the Immigration Irish Immigration Lawyers Association, and she's a committee member with that organisation and is also a co-chair with DSBA Human Rights and Public Interest Committee, as well as committee member of the Human Rights and Equality within the Law Society of Ireland. She's done that since 2018. Christina has a vast experience in the Irish courts with successful cases before all levels of the jurisdiction, including the higher courts in Ireland, the Supreme Court. She has a case that we'll discuss a little bit, um, Lazara Shivili. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. And she has also successfully represented her clients before the courts of justice in the EU, in Luxembourg. And Christina has an online presence and her colleagues and clients can connect to her through social media. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you again for the opportunity. I've always been jealous hearing my colleagues um, um, uh, in your podcast. So it's a great (laughs) honour to to talk to you today. You have, um, yes, because our paths would have certainly crossed a few times back in the day um, when we were in Dublin, both practising. I think you were in uh, firms as well, specialising in immigration. But just to take us back in time, you have a really interesting story um, in terms of how you ended up working in human rights and specialising in immigration and judicial review matters. Maybe take us and our listeners through the very start and maybe what inspired you in the first place to become a lawyer. Oh, it's a long story, especially (laughs) considering my dad wanted me to be a doctor. Uh, (laughs) But but then I I, I, um, got... uh, a particular interest in uh, in the law, um, and as I uh, I was asked this at one of the law society exams, um, qualifying in Ireland, uh, why law and what motivated me? And I was honest then, and I'm going to to, to give you the same answer today. Okay. It was Ali McBeal. Ali McBeal. Um, and that's <laughs> and and that's that's the, that's the, that's the truth. And then uh, that that's kind of. Um, piqued my interest uh, with respect to law and then I, I started to get more and more involved. Um, for example, my uncle um, was a prosecutor in Romania and um, part of my family 
had a particular interest in law and practices in law, and I got the opportunity to understand it better. And just before going for law school, I changed from uh, from medicine. Uh, and once I've uh, once I've discovered, uh, I got the taste of lo- being a lawyer. There was no turning back. Sure, sure, sure. And human rights. I mean, <clears throat> it's a very specialised area, I guess. And there's a very close knit community of practitioners in Ireland, um, mo- even more so than when I when I first started out. Um, what kind of led you to the immigration side of things and maybe to specialise in that human rights aspect? Um, and what are really the challenges that you see in working within that area? Because a lot of our listeners are keen to find out more about working in, in immigration or in human rights in general. So um, how do you find it and how did you get into that? Well, it is a fascinating area and it's developing every day. Um, it just happened for me, the first job that I got in Ireland, the firm I was working with at the time and I was with for four and a half years, they were specialised in the area and I've got to discover the beauty of immigration, asylum, international protection now, um, human rights. And I had the opportunity to see counsel argue cases in court and I've fallen in love with the area and I've discovered and I've learned more and more and I continue to to progress uh, my not to, to expand my knowledge in the area by, by taking cases myself and uh, once I've set up in private practice. Yeah. It's um it's definitely a fast moving area. And, you know, I think as well in terms of judicial review and people wanting experience in that, I always find it was a great area to be involved in, especially from a junior solicitor point of view or from a trainee, you really get stuck into the work. And the other thing that I think both of us spoke about before that we agreed upon was the the network that's there in terms of the support that you get from other colleagues. It's very different from other practitioner areas, I think. Um, But maybe I'm just biased having working in there. But the barristers junior, senior and solicitors and staff seem to work very closely together. Can you tell us a little bit more about the support that you have and maybe on that point a little bit more about your membership of the um, Irish Immigration Lawyer Association which is relatively new but very much needed um, um, organisation. Oh yes, I, I look I agree with you and I think there, there's no doubt about it and anyone that you would ask that practices in the area can confirm that we're a small bunch of practitioners that are colleagues to each other and we pick up the call the phone and we, we call each other with the different queries and there's never been any issue in terms of relying on each other and being there for each other. we Most of us are sole practitioners and we offer each other support from that angle as well, which is very important. And being a sole practitioner has its own challenges, as everyone knows. Yeah. And sometimes it's a particularly lonely, challenging uh, way to, to, to practice, to have your career, but it's extremely rewarding as well. But having colleagues and particularly colleagues within the ILA and the Law Society and the DSBA and being able to support each other and understand each other, it is invaluable and it's always been there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's one of those things that you can't buy or you can't necessarily describe. It's a feeling and it's a, a reliance that you know it's there and we, we support each other and we all know each other and there's no competition yeah. in 
in, in a certain way understood as maybe in other areas of law. Yeah. And even I just recall um, in terms of just sharing decisions and uh, the other thing is that people are very passionate, uh, tend to be very passionate that work within that area. So everybody wants, you know, to know what's happening and they're keen to, uh, you know, see how somebody else's case is evolving if it's an important point. But you have worked on so many of those cases as well. And we always love to see how far a case might go. Um, And you've had experience not only before the higher courts in Ireland and you've done numerous judicial reviews, but also um, slightly higher than that. And you have taken cases um, all the way to uh, the European courts. But before that, I wonder, just could we touch on, just to give an example of the type of maybe challenges and litigation that you do in terms of immigration, you have the Lazara Shivili, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, the case that we mentioned, and that was successful before the Supreme Court. And then we have a very interesting case, which was Borta, um, which anybody who practices in immigration in Ireland or is interested in the area of Irish naturalisation will be familiar with that case. Could you perhaps just bring us through some some of your cases, even those ones or others that you feel um, appropriate, just to get an idea of the, the type of work that's involved? Sure, sure. Well, look, as anyone that practices in the area, a day at the list, the asylum and immigration list will give you a flavour of, of what it's what it's about. The law changes almost every week and there's a new dynamic to legal points that are being brought and test cases. Um, it, yes, Sporta um, uh, and all the other cases I brought, uh, they're, they're cases that I believed in yeah. and as some might call them their pro bono work mm-hmm. that's been done. It's not one of those things where you have a client that comes to you and gives you uh, money that would cover your fees in terms of per hour's work or the value that the solicitor would charge. These are cases that most of us bring on the basis that we believe in a legal point. We believe in what we believe. Uh, we believe in what should be um, the law and how it should be applied. And that's where it all starts, where sometimes the law has been applied correctly from the state's point of view, from the respondent's perspective. However, we feel that it doesn't sound right, it doesn't feel right, and for this particular applicant, it cannot be the case that the law should be interpreted in this way because it is so prejudicial. And from that moment on, we look into the law, we look into the facts, we talk to colleagues, we talk to counsel, and we try go before the court to try to get the judge to tell us are we right or are we wrong in, in, in thinking that this would be an arguable case? And then we get leave and we get a bit of hope. Um, and then we have a hearing date and then we get a judgment, which we might or may not accept as being the correct interpretation. And from then on, that might be subject to an appeal and taking it further. And each of these cases are not cases that were successful before the High Court. Um and um, a court of justice uh, decision does not arise of a successful high court case or a successful paper application. And everyone that reaches such levels of jurisdiction where they have to pursue certain arguments, it's not because they were they had a, an easy way. Um, and and the, it all comes down, I guess, to to practitioners to believe in a legal point and to believe in their clients. And the instructions that we are given, because that's one of the things that 
we learn, I guess, along the way and we learn in, um, in the law society tells us how to, to deal with it. We have to believe our clients to some extent, uh, but we also have to make sure that those instructions are genuine. Yeah. And then to be able to pursue those legal points, which in this case with Borta, it was a citizenship um, case where my client was a young girl and I was instructed through her mother and she was refused citizenship. And we brought the case before the high court where it was refused and we we ended up going before the Court of Appeal, getting the judgments that gave rise to us talking about it today. Um, and with 10 G's, um, uh, Lazarus Bailey, the, the case that was successful in the Supreme Court, yeah. um, the gentleman came to me when he had missed lodging an appeal with a, with, with iPad. And it was the first time I met him as a client and I've heard his story and I've believed his instructions and we've put it further and we've sent loads of letters and those weren't accepted and that was the law at the moment. Mm -hmm. And IPAS was not granting very easily extension of time to appeal and we ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court where the court found in our favour that when a good reason is put before the, the tribunal, when there's exceptional circumstances and they're backed up by a good explanation that the tribunal should consider an extension of time. Mm-hmm. And that has affected many, many applicants since Excellent. then. So it sets, um, it's very important as well, even those points, the practical and administrative points can, you know, make such an impact in other cases going forward. And I'm, I'm just thinking back to, I mean, EU treaty rights was such a massive area to work in. Um, whenever I started out um, back in 2006, 2007, we were seeing all of the test cases going forward um, before the European courts. And of course, um, living in, in the north of Ireland now, <laughs> none of us work on EU treaty rights matters anymore, unfortunately. But we we look on to see what's happening um, in, in the world of EU treaty rights and you of course have worked on and, and your, your colleagues in Dublin um, and Ireland in particular has worked on um, many many important points and brought those forward as test cases and as points of referral um, before the higher courts um, <clears throat> to challenge certain matters and that's something that you've done yourself and what's it like, I suppose, to bring a case before the Court of Justice of uh, the EU? I know they were on very particular points, but um, how does it feel for you and, and for your client and for the legal team, I guess, to, to reach that point? It is amazing. And I, I, I recall back then um, being told by colleagues, you've reached the peak of your career. <laughs> and that was a few years back. <laughs> and I... I it was it was impressive to hear and to see the reaction of my colleagues, mm-hmm. um, which was incredible, and I'm so grateful for each of them. But being able to represent a client on a on a legal point that could change the law in Ireland, the way it's applied, it's 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 a huge burden on the legal team because. You need to make sure you've given it 100% and you've done the best work that can possibly be done because it's not just about you, it's about your client and it's about the result of that judgment that will apply to everyone else in similar situations. So from one hand, you're very nervous going in, but equally it's extremely exciting and 
being able to attend the hearing and be in Luxembourg in the CJEU, it is absolutely amazing. And it's an experience that uh, I wish everyone could could have um, and many of my colleagues do. Um, You have to be extremely prepared and I've been lucky, so lucky to work with amazing counsel and with both my um, CJU cases, Derek Shortall um, was, uh, and me, the two of us were the legal team uh, and we've worked really hard and he's been amazing and attending the CJU, it is, you, procedural wise, you'd have to put in submissions. And when you attend, you have 15, min- 15 minutes to make some additional submissions. And each of the countries that agree to have a say with regard to that particular case will have their say that you, those 15 minutes that you're not, you don't know what they're going to say because it's not particularly in the legal submissions and you have to reply to it. Yeah. It is really, really intense. Um, but it is, it is it is an amazing experience to have, and I I'm so grateful that that was a positive uh, experience all the way in terms of the judgment. Good, and uh, it, it's so impressive to to be in the, the to have cases with within the judicial review and asylum immigration list, mm-hmm. and to see in submissions that other counsel might do in support of our case, referring to cases. To, 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 to our two cases that were successful for the CJU, which would refer to the interpretation of EU law um, and the EU worker and and so on. So it, 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 I, I tend to agree with my colleagues that this would be a peak of career um, in terms of, of uh, profe- legal profession as a, as a solicitor. Yeah, well, you have many more to come, I'm sure. And I suppose it, it just goes to show there's never a dull moment in immigration. Well, that, that's what I find anyway. And you certainly, those options open up to you there. Um, and again, with a great uh, legal team behind you, it's so important to have that. So that's fantastic. Just two points, I guess. In the introduction, I mentioned as well that you, you know, you created an online presence. And I often see you and I, I enjoy seeing your updates as well online. How important is it? to you that solicitors, I guess, in general these days have an online presence. Does it make a difference to your firm or does it make a difference to clients? And even the way that, you know, some of your clients can contact you through social media, how does that work? Because some people might still be quite wary of that. Uh, I think the social media presence is somehow split into two in terms of connecting with colleagues Mm -hmm. and connecting with clients or possible clients. I think it's very reassuring for a client or someone that hears your name or you're recommended that they can put it on Google and see that you exist and that you have standing. And um, it's important that (laughs) your online presence is, I believe, to some extent, your business card when it comes down to a client. Uh Um, So if, if you give someone some indication of who you are and sell yourself in terms of your of your practice and how good you are and what, what you're good at, uh, they might be reluctant to hear it from you. But once they see it online and once someone sees something in writing or sees some photos, it has a different weight than to hear it. Sure. Um, so from from the, the client perspective, I guess they want to, to see that their solicitor is out there and is engaging and is real and... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
uh, that that's what I believe. And then from the perspective of colleagues, that's a different thing, for, particularly LinkedIn. Yeah. I feel that that's the way for me to connect with my colleagues and for us to keep uh, updating each other in terms mm. of developments and events we attend to and what's, what's out there. Yeah. And it's a, it's a networking. It is. A, the social media. And, and look, it, in a way, I think it's the professional version of Facebook. Mm. But it is, uh, it, it, for me, it, it's a platform where I can post about what events I'm attending to, what I'm finding out, what cases I'm working on, to put in news about um, my, my, my profession. But it's also balancing to make sure there's nothing personal. Sure. And mm. that presence in itself, it has its own rhythm. And yeah. I, I'm not saying I know how to go about it, but just my understanding of it. Yeah. No, it's good to see that. And I, I totally agree with you. Um, and it's an excellent platform to use that to connect to colleagues as well. But the other thing I suppose related to that is is finding that balance, I, I guess, between your day-to-day work. So managing your files, your cases, case progression, staff, all of that. But you, you also seem quite active outside of work. And it seems to be, and you can tell me if this is true or not, but important to you to attend events, not only for networking, but I suppose to, you know, for knowledge as well. And there's certain events that you have to attend as part of your CPD. I get that. But how important is it to you, Christina, to make sure that you are, you know, um, keeping in touch with other colleagues, whether they're immigration or human rights related or not within the legal profession, and to also attend events that maybe are voluntary and related to the work you do, but more so, you know, on that kind of pro bono basis or ways that you can help outside of work. You seem to be quite active and I want to know how important is that to you and is that difficult to balance? It is very important for me and I was saying earlier in terms of being a sole practitioner, it's very important to me to be able to connect with colleagues that are in similar positions, colleagues that I can learn something from and I'm learning so much every day um, from from people that have different experiences and know more than me with respect to to certain things. Everyone's journey is different. And I think as long as we acknowledge that and we try to meet somewhere along the way and to share that experience and to share the knowledge and to share the connection. And um, even recently attending a very important event organized by the Law Society, to be able to make friends to the extent of colleague friends and to uh, know each other's names and to be able to then connect on LinkedIn and to keep in touch and know that that person's there and we can pick up the phone in the future to to bounce ideas with or if something comes up to, to or even to meet for coffee and yeah. just say, how are you? How's it going? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's invaluable. It is so so important to have that yeah. for my soul and for my heart. It's, I'm not getting any clients out of this, mm-hmm. but me connecting with my colleagues and doing all the voluntary work, it's a treat. Yeah. Um, and it's something that my life would be empty and heavier, I think, without mm-hmm. it. Um, the, the opportunities I have through the Law Society, through being a, commu- a committee member um, of the Human Rights Committee, it's... They're, they're, I, I, it's all about having access to things you didn't even know they're there. Sure. Yeah. And then once you're there, you realize, wow, I was missing all this. I wasn't aware of all this. Excellent. There's yeah. so much value to this, and there's so many 
people working so hard to do good things. And you don't know because you're so stuck in your own bubble doing loads of work and working all hours. And it's just something that it's all about lifting your head and looking around because there's so much support and so many opportunities and so many legal areas and so many folds of folds of each of the things that we do. And as long as we're open to that and we're able to do it and have the opportunities to expand on this, I think that's, that's, that's what's all about. Absolutely. And it's important to get that balance right um, <clears throat> so that we're not just caught up with the day-to-day management, which is obviously very, very important. But to get out there, and I, I know that even within um, the Romanian community of Ireland, you've been widely recognised, uh, Christina, and you won an award previously, um, an award of, for excell- of excellence um, for your contribution to the community as a solicitor. And you've also featured in magazines back in Romania. Um, how important is it for you to you know, have that representation and I suppose to connect with um, the community and uh, the community at large I suppose who would need uh, the legal representation that you offer well it's very important because I'm originally from Romania and there's many many Romanian people here that might feel lost or may not have the support and I am not again I'm not doing this for clients and I, I don't think I've got Many, if any, clients through my involvement with the Romanian Community of Ireland, which is a long-established organization. They've recently celebrated 25 years in Ireland. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things where I feel that it's great to connect with people, and particularly there's so many amazing Romanian people, doctors, artists, so many people that I wouldn't have got the chance to meet otherwise. Yeah. Because we never get to meet. Like, Where would I meet... Um, doctors or IT people or specialists or artists in the day-to-day life and I get to do that through my involvement and participating to one or two events per year and doing my best to to say I'm here if if anyone needs to have a chat or and I I think that that, that's all um, that, that I get out of it being able to connect with other Romanian people that are here and I understand the struggles and I understand the difficulties. Yeah. Um, and maybe usually people just, just want to know that there's someone that understands them rather than anything to be done. Sure. Excellent. And just, I suppose, on that point, for anybody listening today who would like to follow in your footsteps and maybe feel a little bit daunted or, you know, are worried that there might be challenges preventing them from doing so. Um, I know that you, you spoke to me before just about the challenges of, um, you know, getting through the, the, the system in Ireland in terms of establishing yourself as a solicitor. What advice would you have for anybody listening who um, is similar to you and wants to get involved in the area that you work in? Well, first of all, to not to be afraid to stand out, to be different and to follow one's dreams and what they believe to be right and true. It is not always easy. Um, but it, it's one of those things that it just feels right despite all. I found that no matter what path we choose to take in our life, it is not easy, but it's easier for us to carry that burden mm-hmm. if it is the right path that we have taken. And in terms of everyone that I, I uh, growing up, I would, um, and I've talked about this recently, 
I, I was inspired and I had my motivation in poetry and songs and there were the, 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 the easiest thing that I could find and the most uh, durable things that I had in my life at the time, uh, poetry and lyrics and quotes of philosophers. And what <laughs> one of the things that helped me for many years was to keep hearing this in my head. You can be anything you want to be just turn yourself into anything you think that you could ever be. Oh, and love <laughs> I, I, I'm not reading that off anything. It's just something it's that I... Yeah. It is. And it's one of Queen's songs and Freddie Mercury that, that ah. said so many right things. Um, but it, it, I, I don't think that... It, it, it's about a destination and life. It's all a journey and it's all ups and downs and for me and for everyone and to be able to acknowledge that whatever legal path we may choose, um, it's not the, it doesn't necessarily have to define us if along the way we feel it's not the right thing. For me, it has been and I'm encouraging everyone to pursue human rights because it's such a way, a, a wise area in which you can apply a human rights um, side of law. But equally, there might be students, people out there that might choose and feel that it's a different different area. It, it is right for them. It's not easy. It, I don't think it's ever been easy for anyone. It doesn't matter your background, how much money your parents have or how much money you have. But it, it's one of those things that if you feel law is the right thing for you, um, and I was thinking about this earlier today, uh, studying and uh, uh, growing up and uh, with my little one as well and, and all the challenges, why, why do I have to study a particular subject? Because that's not what I want to do when I grow up. Mm -hmm. But I am applying even math to my day-to-day -day work. Yeah. If you do family law, you will run a, uh, you, you will bump into having to check at least the statement of means. Sure. And when you go before a judge, you'll have to have your figures right. It doesn't matter that the client told you this is the mm -hmm. sum and this is the. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much of every physics, chemistry, biology. Yeah. It's all part of our life and our practice. And it, it's really important and it's a great benefit to understand when a client tells you what their issues are and to be able to then identify a legal solution to their problem. Absolutely. Well, Christina Stamateski, that is excellent advice. And I, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. I've been wanting to do so for a while and I followed you for quite some time now. And um, hopefully we'll get a chance to meet up and have a coffee at some stage. <laughs> That would be that would be amazing. Thank you. Thanks everyone for joining me today. If you like the show, please remember to share and leave a review if you have a moment. And you can also check out our website, www.activistlawyer.com, where you will see some blog articles written by our guests and contributors, as well as some fabulous Activist Lawyer merchandise. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. 
We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.